Credit scores are important to financial health. Do you know yours and how it's calculated? A poor credit score can make it hard to get a loan, a credit card, or even a job. We can help answer questions and possibly save you money. Hi, I'm Diane Freeby of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union, inviting you to schedule a free financial checkup today at NotreDameFCU.com slash elevate. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame FCU. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, and thanks to the support of Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop, and yeah, a lot of graduations happening or coming up. Do you get invited to a lot of parties, Bishop? I do, but I, I'm not really able to go sure. because it's just, you know, it's interesting because, you know, with the four high schools and the also the five Catholic yeah. colleges, I have all these baccalaureate masses but I'm still doing confirmations and ordinations start. Mm. So it is crazy schedule. So I really don't get the time. Any free time I have, I'm working on on homilies for them. Right, (laughs) right. How many baccalaureate masses do you do? Let's see. I do the four high schools. You do all four of them. I do every year. And then as far as the colleges, I always am at Notre Dame's baccalaureate mass and I speak after communion. Hmm. St. Mary's College and Holy Cross College, their baccalaureate mass is at the same time every year. So it's, I alternate. So this year it's Holy huh. Cross College. And then the University of St. Francis is usually the first baccalaureate mass. And that's usually the very beginning of May. And then we have Ancilla College, but mm-hmm. I haven't been to that. That's part now of Marion University. But this right. year I also, I gave a commencement speech in Cincinnati this past Sunday. And it was Mount St. Mary's Seminary and School of Theology. And we've had a few seminarians there. And, and the last one just graduated is Deacon Ryan Tomosi, who I'll be ordaining to the priesthood in June. So they had asked me, the Archbishop of Cincinnati, Archbishop Schnur, asked me if I would do the commencement address. So I was happy to go there. And it's really an interesting historical tie because, you know, I was rector at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, Maryland, where our seminarians attend. And this is another Mount St. Mary's, Uh but the seminary in Cincinnati, very old, I think went back to the 1820s. It's it's actually uh, not as old as Emmitsburg, but it was called St. Francis Xavier Seminary. Okay. And then there was a priest in Emmitsburg named Father Purcell and John Baptist Purcell, who he was an Irish immigrant. Well, he had studied at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, became a professor there and president of Mount St. Mary's. He was named the second bishop of Cincinnati. And when he went to Cincinnati, he was bishop there for 50 years. But while he was there, when he got there, they had this seminary already but he changed the name from mm. St. Francis Xavier to Mount St. Mary's of the West. Huh. Mount St. Mary's of the West. So because he came from Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg, and he, I guess he wanted that name. So anyhow, that's a little bit of history. Now, I know we're not here to talk about history, but you know I like history. Uh-huh. Began the commencement address. I, I wanted to tell them a little bit about the connection between Cincinnati and Fort Wayne. Okay. So, and I really didn't have all this written out. I would kind of ad-libbed it, but I love the history. Well, our first bishop, John Henry Lors, everyone knows Bishop Lors, you know, Bishop Lors High School. 
He was our first bishop, okay, when the diocese was founded in 1857. He was a German immigrant from the Cincinnati diocese. As a matter of fact, it's very interesting. This same Bishop Purcell, you know, was riding on horseback to a parish in Piqua. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Piqua, Ohio. So on his way, and there was another priest on a horse accompanying him. Of course, that's how they got around on horseback. So he's riding along this road to this church and he saw a 16 year old boy walking to the church and he just stopped and offered a ride. You know, he said, you can go on the horse that the priest was, was riding. And that was John Henry Lures, 16 years old. And as they're riding to the parish, they got talking and John Henry mentioned to the bishop that he was thinking about the priesthood. Of course, he was very poor. Families were immigrant farmers from Germany. And, but the bishop followed up and was really impressed with this, this teenager and got him into the seminary. That, it was still called St. Francis Xavier at the time and ordained him a priest. And then he made him the pastor of this German parish in Cincinnati, St. Joseph's, which was growing. And Father Lors was, was pastor there for like, I don't know, 10 years or so. And it grew to 5,000 parishioners. Well, when the decision was being made to create the Diocese of Fort Wayne, and this is the 1850s, Bishop Purcell had a big say in it. And because by that time it was a archdiocese, Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and he recommended to the to Rome this young priest, Father Lors, who at that time was like 37 years old. Uh-huh. And that was accepted. And he became the first bishop of Fort Wayne. Wow. Very young. And, you know, all began when he was walking to this church and the bishop passed him on horseback. And I just think that's interesting for people to know that connection with with Cincinnati. And and actually, Archbishop Purcell also ordained Bishop Lohr as a bishop Uh in the cathedral in Cincinnati, not here in Fort Wayne. Okay. So it's at the Cathedral of St. Peter in Chains. So huh. so there I was back at the seminary that Bishop Lores attended. But then interestingly, go on with the history, our second bishop was also from Cincinnati, Joseph Dwenger. Hmm. Of course, everyone knows Bishop Dwenger. We have the high school named after him. But he was a precious, he was a member of religious congregation, the Precious Blood Fathers, but he was from Cincinnati and that's where they were based. And Father Dwenger, well, he was, you know, he studied for the Precious Blood Fathers, but he attended the same seminary Mm -hmm. in Cincinnati that Bishop Lors attended. And again, he was ordained a priest in the Cathedral of St. Peter in Chains in Cincinnati by Bishop Purcell. And after he was ordained a priest, he served in different, he was the son of German immigrants. He wasn't an immigrant himself like Lors was. But and Lourdes was like 12 years old, I think, when his family came to the United States. But anyhow, Joseph Dwenger served in a few German-speaking parishes, but Archbishop Purcell called on him to accompany him to confirmations at German parishes because uh, oh. Archbishop Purcell couldn't speak German. So Father Dwenger would preach the homily. In and German. Then, in German. Uh-huh. And then... Uh, one of the priests said to Archbishop Purcell, well, why don't you just delegate 
Father Dwenger to do the confirmations rather than, you know, you don't have, if he's going to preach the homily, just let him do the confirmations. It'll clear your schedule or whatever. Uh And Archbishop Purcell said, oh, I can't do that. I'm afraid that when I give the the slap, you know, back in the old days, you got a little slap on the cheek when you were being confirmed. Okay. He said, I couldn't let Father Dwenger do that. I'm afraid he might hurt somebody. He said that because Father Dwenger was like 300 pounds. Oh. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess he did said that joking. Right. But then when uh, Bishop Lors died, Archbishop Purcell recommended to Rome that Father Dwenger become the new bishop of Fort Wayne. Huh. Which, and this, of course, was before it was called Fort Wayne South Bend. It was called the Diocese of Fort Wayne. So, so he became, then was ordained also by Archbishop Purcell in the cathedral in Cincinnati, and then came here to serve as the second bishop. So really, our first two bishops were from Cincinnati. Huh. Never knew that. So I was there delivering the commencement address at Mount St. Mary's Seminary and School of Theology in Cincinnati, and I, I shared with them this history. And it's interesting, too, when I was rector at Mount St. Mary's in Maryland, we had this huge painting of Archbishop Purcell. I mean, it was, I don't know how many feet, but it was huge. And when we were doing some renovations in the seminary, it was like, where do we put it? It's too big for the classrooms. So I sent it to Cincinnati as a gift. Uh It was a very old painting of Archbishop Purcell, and they told me it's at the cathedral. You know, it's interesting delivering commencement speeches. When I do commencement speeches, it's always a challenge because it's a a different kind of genre than like homilies. Right. And I think my commencement speeches actually are like homilies, but I figure if they're inviting a bishop, you know, (laughs) it's going to be like a homily. Yeah. A couple weeks, well, a week ago, I was also at Notre Dame. I always have a, a mass for the graduates of the Master of Divinity program. And for the listeners, all of our men who are studying for the priesthood get a degree. It's called the Master of Divinity, and it's mostly theology. And at Notre Dame, they also have lay students in the Master of Divinity Uh program. So I always have a a mass for them every year. But also in Cincinnati, at the graduation ceremony, there were also lay people. And they got degrees, Master of Arts in Theology. Some of them got certificates that aren't actually academic degrees. But the seminarians got Masters of Divinity, and a few of them also got the Master of Arts in Theology. So so I kind of talked to them about theology and how they're going forth now with these theology degrees. Of course, the theology, you know, theos is God, logos is word. So... The word theology means the study, the word of God. So it's the study of God based on divine revelation, what God has revealed to us. Mm-hmm. So it's a great field of study. It's, and of course, God's revelation reached its summit, its fullness in the incarnation of his son. That's the full revelation of God, mm-hmm. um, Jesus. So I talked to the graduates about how it's such a privilege to to study, to plumb the revealed mystery of God in the light of faith in his revelation. 
And of course, that faith is illumined by reason, human reason. So when you think about faith, it's our ascent to revelation. And that faith invites thought. We think about it. We study it. It seeks understanding. Our faith seeks understanding. So there's a famous phrase by, or sentence by St. Anselm back in the Middle Ages, where he talks about faith-seeking understanding. And that's what theology is. It's faith-seeking understanding. So it's, it's a science. It's the science of truth. And Pope Benedict XVI, I, I love his writings. He so beautifully taught how this truth is inseparable from love because God is love. So the mystery of faith that, that one studies in theology is inseparably the mystery of love. And the heart of the Christian faith, and this is in Pope Benedict's great encyclical, his first encyclical as Pope, God is love, mm -hmm. Deus Caritas est, he said that the heart of the Christian faith is really expressed in words from St. John's first letter, where St. John wrote, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Mm -hmm. Benedict said that's the heart of the Christian faith, and it's so beautiful. And this illuminates the life of the Christian. And that's why Pope Benedict then went on to quote another sentence from St. John's epistle where St. John wrote, we have come to know and to believe in the love God has for us. That's our life, that we've, we live by this faith, by the knowledge of God's love for us. So when you think about our human response to God's revelation of himself, his gift of himself in Jesus, our response is faith, faith in him and his love. And if it's genuine, that faith is lived out in love. Hmm. You know, I said to the graduates, you know, we judge success in, in academics by grades. Right. And even in theology, you know, our seminarians and lay students, they, they get exams. They, you know, it's like other courses, you get grades. I said, but we can't just judge the success of theological studies by grades. Mm. They're not unimportant, but what's the primary measure of success in theology? And I presented that question uh, to the graduates, and I, I said that the answer, or the way to measure, I said, in my opinion, is twofold. Number one, and I asked them this question, has your study of theology led you to give heartfelt praise and glory to God. Mm. In other words, has theology led you to doxology? Doxology is, is praise and glory to God. Doxology. So theology leading to doxology. Huh. Basically, have you grown in your love of God? Have you grown in love of God? 
So it's not just a matter of the mind, but also of the heart. Mm-hmm. And then the second criterion or measure of success, I asked them the question, has your study of theology led you to love of others, mm-hmm. to greater love of your neighbor? And I again turned to St. John, the apostle and evangelist. You know, his, he's represent, his gospel is represented by the eagle. And I said, his gospel soars like an eagle because of its amazing theological insights. We've talked about that on the show before. Well, in his gospel, but also in his letters, St. John says many, many times, repeatedly exhorting his readers, love one another, love one another. So I'm just trying to bring together faith and love and study of theology. Mm-hmm. And like John the Apostle, Pope Benedict, you know, was a great theologian, a brilliant scholar, scientist of the faith. He was a lover of the word that he studied. Mm-hmm. Like John, John was the beloved disciple. You know, Pope Benedict, Joseph Rassner, was first and foremost a disciple of the Lord whom he loved. So we learn from St. John and from Pope Benedict and really so many saintly theologians throughout the history of the church that were called to worship and to love the mystery that we study. Mm -hmm. A mystery that hopefully we, we encounter not just in our minds, but also in our hearts. The very mystery of God. Mm Mm-hmm. I then invited the graduates to hear these words of Jesus to the 72 disciples when he sent them out on mission. And I often will say this at the baccalaureate mass at Notre Dame each year, mm-hmm. and I probably will this year too. If you remember in the gospel, when Jesus sends out the 72 on mission, he said to them, what you have received as a gift, give as a gift. Mm. So I'll say that to graduates in different fields of study. What you've received as a gift, I'll say to the graduates, give as a gift. Mm -hmm. So when I was speaking to the seminarians and the lay students at Cincinnati Seminary, I told them that, well, before you came here, you already had, you already received the gift of faith because why would someone come and study theology if they didn't have faith? Uh Because it's faith-seeking understanding. Hmm. And I talked to them about, how for most of them, if not all of them, the gift that they got was the gift of faith was through their parents mm-hmm. who brought them to the waters of baptism. And when we're baptized, we receive that infused gift of faith from the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the parents are then nourish the faith and teach their children the faith. So they grow in knowledge of the faith. And I was there giving this speech on Mother's Day, so I wanted to bring this oh, yeah. out. I said... You know, we especially want to thank all their mothers because it was their faith and love that led them to Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I think for all the people who are listening, all those who are parents, how sacred and serious this responsibility is and how beautiful it is Mm -hmm. when a couple brings their child for baptism because they are passing on the faith and the child that is being baptized is becoming a a child of God. And of course that faith then needs to be 
nourished. Mm-hmm. It's like the seeds being planted. It needs to be watered. But then when one goes on, like I, in, in this context of a graduation, to study theology, they're studying more deeply the faith that was passed on from their parents. Mm-hmm. And I then spoke about, you know, the idea of the gift they received from their parents, but now also the gift of the professors, the time and the wisdom and the guidance of their teachers and their formators. And I said they should give thanks for the gift of each other because the gift of new friendships. And even when I have these other graduations, to think about the gifts one received in their schooling, mm-hmm. whatever level, grade school, high school, college. I spoke to the assembly there at the seminary about the gift of the liturgy. I mean, one of the beautiful gifts of, especially for seminarians, is the beautiful liturgies that are celebrated in the seminaries, the beauty and devotion. So getting back to that instruction from Jesus, what you have received as a gift, give as a gift. I want the graduates to think about how the gifts that they received aren't just for themselves, that it's, especially when one is studying theology, okay, we do have our own spiritual and intellectual growth, but it's not just for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's for the benefit of others. Mm. And I say that to our seminarians, for example. I mean, they're able to have this wonderful theological education because of the generosity of the people of our diocese. Mm -hmm. You know, their tuition, et cetera, is is because of the the generous donations that our people make in the Pentecost collection every year and in the Bishop's Appeal. Mm -hmm. So they are to give as a gift. And even the lay people who are studying in their theology degrees, that they also are going forth to serve as lay ministers in the church. And I wanted to really focus on their going forth to serve the church's mission of evangelization. Because when we think about Jesus sending out the disciples and the apostles, it was to make disciples of all nations. It was to evangelize, Mm -hmm. to spread the word of God. So when I was speaking to these graduates, I said, first of all, they should go forth to confirm the faith of those that they will serve. And to help them to grow in their understanding and embrace of the Catholic faith. And when I think about our seminarians, that's, you know, I'll be assigning them as priests to various parishes. So their focus on the people there in their parishes to help them to grow in their faith and to help those who have questions or have doubts I mean, they have all this education now, so they're equipped to do that, to use the knowledge that they have gained to help others to grow in their understanding of the faith. And then also to witness by their loving care of the people and to help them to, in their struggles, to live the gospel. That's what they're being formed to do. That's what they're being educated to do. So when I assign them to parishes, you know, that's what I expect them to do. Mm-hmm. But I also, so they're, they're to foster the growth of faith of the people of God, but 
I wanted to really point out something that is so important today. And that is in serving the church's evangelizing mission, it needs to go beyond those who are active in the practice of the faith. In other words, I encourage them to reach out to those who've left the practice of the faith, Mm -hmm. non-practicing Catholics, and to reach out to unbelievers. I mean, the early church, that's what they did. I mean, it wasn't just, you know, a closed group. No, it's always about going out Mm -hmm. to those who haven't heard the gospel or those who've left and to invite them back. So I really focused a lot on that because in our country today, in the West in general, but the increasing number of people, especially young people, who are religiously unaffiliated. Okay, they might have been brought up in the faith, but then they don't no longer associate themselves or even mm-hmm. call themselves Catholic, for example. So I, I really emphasized how important, because now they have the intellectual tools and they have the gifts, the mm-hmm. spiritual gifts, in the midst of a culture in our country where we can say it's like a spiritual desert that's growing around Mm. us and we can't ignore it. Yeah. You know, because so many people, our young people in particular are formed by secularism. So they've come to have a merely horizontal view of reality, a horizontal view. They not, may not have necessarily rejected a vertical view of reality, the transcendent dimension of human existence, but are merely indifferent to it. There's things that are blocking people's encounter with God. I mean, just think, for example, the, the excessive focus on an immersion in the world of technology, mm-hmm. all the time spent on one's smartphones. So I encourage the graduates, again, give as a gift what you have received, to help those who are totally immersed in the horizontal, this world, Mm -hmm. to begin a journey or return to the journey towards the true religious meaning of life, a life of faith. Hmm. Now, this isn't easy to do. I, I said it may seem really difficult and extremely challenging, But what we need to remember, I said to the graduates, is that deep within every person, deep within every person is a fundamental desire for truth and meaning in life. Deep down, Mm -hmm. deep down, every person is a religious being, Mm. has this interior desire for truth, meaning, for happiness, for love. Mm -hmm. Now, in our culture today, many are seeking these goods, but in things that really don't ultimately satisfy. And some of the things may even cause harm. Mm -hmm. So what's the result? And we see this emptiness, dissatisfaction, in some cases, bitterness, hopelessness. And then there are the social effects of this, and we see it all around us. This fall into nihilism, the idea that it's all just nothing mm-hmm. or despair. And this harms social life, it harms community life, 
Because when we ignore the transcendent, basically when we ignore or reject God, the creator, the dignity of those who created in his image and likeness is in, becomes in danger. And we see this with ethical relativism, this abandonment of objective truth and its distorted right. notion of freedom. That impoverishes the human community and puts it in harm's way. And we've seen this for decades with the acceptance and even promotion of abortion and euthanasia. And now, I pointed this out, we see the further spread of harm to society with the proliferation of violence and the alarming, really alarming phenomenon of these mass killings mm -hmm. that keep happening all over our country. So we have, what are we to do in the face of this culture of violence? I said, we must recognize the roots of this crisis, the roots of the crisis. It's a crisis of truth, a crisis of faith, and a crisis of reason, really. Mm -hmm. So what do we have to offer as disciples of Christ, and especially as these theologians, we offer the one who is truth and who is our only savior, the one who is light and life and love and brings happiness. So encourage them to be messengers of hope in the midst of the hopelessness yeah. that many experience. I was thinking about that sentence, this wonderful sentence from the first letter of St. Peter, which we heard in this past Sunday's gospel. Yeah. Always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope, but do it with gentleness and reverence. We have to be hopeful first. Yeah, ourselves. Yeah. And then we can be witnesses of hope, witnesses of truth, witnesses to the word, the word who became flesh and who gives meaning and purpose to life, mm -hmm. witness to the grace and love that overcomes sin and death, really witnesses to the hope of salvation. Mm. Okay. Right. Another thing I said was it would be selfish for us not to evangelize, to hide the light of Jesus under a bushel basket mm -hmm. to be comfortable with keeping the faith to ourselves. And that's, you know, in our culture, you know, there's a lot of privatization of religion, privatization of faith. Like you don't, it's, it's kind of like society isn't bothered by the fact that people practice the faith in the home or in their going to church. But once it gets into the public square, right. Many people will get upset and that's, you know, that's really, that gets into the whole issue of religious freedom. But, mm -hmm. but our testimony of faith needs to go beyond our churches and our homes. It needs to be transparent in society. That's what the early Christians did. That's what the church has done through the ages. But the testimony, as St. Paul says in that quote, needs to be done always with gentleness and reverence. Gentleness and reverence. In other words, not aggressively or harshly. Mm -hmm. We have to respect people's freedom. We don't impose our faith. We propose our right. faith. 
And we don't show reverence for the Lord when we proclaim his word without charity. Hmm. I always think of what, what does Christ, our teacher, say? He says to us, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Mm-hmm. So the importance of humility and charity in the way we proclaim our faith and the gospel. And that's important for our priests. It's important for, for all of us, really. And so that's basically the message I gave at the commencement speech, but it contained a lot of themes that I think are important and can be applied to, to others as well, not just those who study theology. It really gets to our mission as, as Christians, our mission as Catholics, and not to feel like we're totally overwhelmed by the challenges that we face, but we trust really in the power of God. I also think oftentimes about what it must have been like for the, the Christians of the first decades, like that we read about in Acts of the Apostles and the culture in which they lived, and yet the church grew and flourished hmm. in the midst of that pagan culture. Yeah. Well, and not just for theology graduates, right? For all of us. And I guess, first of all, congratulations to all those that are graduating high school, college or, or whatever. But for all of us to remember that as we enter the workplace, as we you know go off to school or military or wherever it is for us to be evangelizing, you know, regardless of your, your major, your degree, or if you don't have a degree, like that's what we're all called to do. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, at this time of the liturgical year, it really is kind of an emphasis because Mm. we're celebrating the ascension of Jesus. And that's what he, before he ascended into heaven, that's what he commanded the disciples to do. And then he not only did that, he equipped them for the mission. He sent the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, which we'll be celebrating also. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to have graduations at this time of the ascension and, and Pentecost to kind of focus on that idea of going forth to give the gift we have received, the gift of faith. We are to give as a gift. Well, and confirmations as well. So exactly. First communions. Yep. yep. <laughs> Get the little ones there too. All right. Well, thank you, Bishop, for that reflection. And I, I just, I think it's a good encouragement for all of us. So could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. It's engineered by Josh Skipper at the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, produced by Miriam Schmitz, and edited by Tony Marks for Spoke Street Media. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.